Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Seaweed Brain. Today, we have two very special guests. We have so much to get to, so we're just gonna we're just gonna get into it. We are in the process of a speed run to the end, so stick around. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply literally the battle oh goodness (laughs) the whole battle like so much happens oftentimes we can just be like oh it's just a battle let's just be like they fight and then they win no every page there is like some monumental moment some monumental monument um okay i can't sign (laughs) off on that no i won't (laughs) we are joined to cover the next two episodes to finish the Trials of Apollo, the Tower of Nero, by both muses of mythology today, formerly <laughs> the Pod of Poseidon. Welcome back, <laughs> DJ and Darian. Good to be How's back. How's everybody doing today? They can't Woo-hoo! answer you, DJ. We're doing great. We're doing great. There we go. Love oh, to hear no, it. Yeah, everyone. Wonderful. <laughs> we have a previously agreed on pact to have no small talk today. And I don't remember agreeing to that. That's not small talk. That's uh, sibling shenanigan. There will be zero sibling shenanigans and zero Carter and Erica crazy ex-girlfriend <laughs> tangents. So Feel like I then why even have that. the podcast? Just listen to the book. There will be great discourse ah, starting. Discourse, yep. Right now. Right now, let's okay, go. Where did we last leave off? We last left off with a conversation with Nero. Apollo's been on his way up to try to find Meg. He has not done so successfully, but Apollo's about to enter the throne room. We're about to reunite, and also Nero says he's going to gas everyone in the tower. So it's time for a confrontation. Absolutely. We enter the throne room. Nero's foster children, adoptees are there, and we have to have a you know dramatic, evil monologue and disagreement verbally before we can start our fighting. Well, large portion (laughs) of this battle is just Meg, like psychologically doing her best to not give in to Nero and Apollo kind of standing there and being like, how is this man just so manipulative? Mm -hmm. Nero says, she's close, but first weapons on the floor. I am taking no chances that you will harm my daughter. You, I was so angry I couldn't finish the sentence. How could someone twist the truth with such brazenness, telling you the exact opposite of what was clear and obvious and still sound like they believed what they were saying? How could you defend against lies that were so blatant and brash they should have required no challenge? We've said many times the obvious, obvious, deep, deep comparisons to the United States president at the time of this book being published, Mm -hmm. but also like, Every gaslighting older male authority figure in your life. This just made me so mad. I was so activated by this. It's absolutely infuriating. We've been told how Nero is manipulative throughout the entire series, but this direct interaction with Apollo and having Apollo break it down for the reader to really see it clearly what's happening and just how utterly messed up it is and how easy it is for some people to do that. It's devastating. It's so good. (laughs) 
Nero really is just a piece of shit here. <laughs> I mean, Darian's absolutely right. We, we've been told like, hey, Nero's this big, bad, manipulative guy and we got to worry about him. And now he also has the whole power of the triumvirate here in this scene. Mm-hmm. He's very scared. The, the power is so central to this because I think what makes mm-hmm. the manipulation so frustrating to read is that he's not really using any rhetorical tricks or um, creative thinking, all he has is the fact that he can say literally whatever he wants to and know that he is so powerful <laughs> that he can get away with it. You know, like that, that right. I think is the core of what is so frustrating is that he, he's not making an effort. He's not better than you. He just has things that you don't. Um, and as we get further into this battle, there's a big moment of Apollo being like, wow, Nero and I are kind of the same. And I think this is an important moment of thinking about that as well, because we have this journey of Apollo being like, what does my word mean? And what do my promises mean? mean and like I need to think critically about everything I've said to everybody before because he used to be the same way he would just say whatever he wanted to because he had all the power in the world to back it up and now he is realizing on the receiving end of that just how frustrating it is yeah seriously Carter when you were talking it occurred to me I mean obviously the parallels between like Apollo as a god and what he's done and like Nero and his corruption are intentional but the element of Nero where he's like, oh, I am basically a god. He is so desperate to like make himself a god. You had Owen on a couple episodes ago to like talk about how how that works in that like, you know, lore and in history sense. But very much like the gods can speak things into existence because that is their power as gods. And Nero can essentially do the same because he has all the physical power, because he has the wealth and the fear and the weapons and the control. What he says becomes true, not because he makes it true, but because it gets to be true because of his power. And it's horrible. Mm. Like he defines what is true. That's so true. Yeah. Oh, frick. Okay. That's how he makes himself a god. (laughs) He manipulates his own reality, which is also an important theme with the prophecy and what we're, oh, wow. Mm -hmm, It's all coming mm -hmm. together. Oh, yeah. It's all coming together. (laughs) Okay, 285, Meg actually shows up. And this paragraph like broke me when I read it for several reasons. All right. She appeared from behind one of the columns in the back of the room. Two cynocephaly flanked her. The wolf-headed men did not touch her, but they walked beside her in such a tight orbit they reminded me of sheepdogs herding a wayward lamb. Meg looked physically unhurt, though she'd been bathed to within an inch of her life. All the hard-earned grime, ash, and dirt she'd accumulated on her way to the tower had been scrubbed away. Her pageboy haircut had been reshaped in a layered pixie style, parted in the middle, making Meg resemble the dryads a little too closely. And her clothes! Gone was Sally Jackson's valentine dress. In its place, Meg wore a sleeveless purple gown, gathered at the waist by a golden cord. Her red high tops had been exchanged for gold-corded sandals. The only thing that remained of her old look was her glasses, without which she couldn't see— but I was surprised Nero had let her keep even those. My heart broke. Meg looked elegant, older, and beautiful. She also looked utterly, completely, no longer herself. Nero had tried to strip away everything she had been, every choice she'd made, and replace her with someone else, a proper young lady of the imperial household. Truly evil. Truly despicable man. That Traditional Nero. Roman values. Exactly. Yes, <laughs> <Yeah>. Darian. Forcing <laughs> her into that dress. Not mm-hmm. that it is like sexualizing her, but it is forcing her to like mm-hmm. age up in a way that, you know, no, you should is say she that. ready for? We don't really know. It wasn't her choice. Yeah, yeah. It's really uncomfortable. <laughs> I love the spinning the moment to underline how 
not just like how she is dressed now, but what was taken from her to force her into this. Like the underlining of like Sally Jackson's yes. Valentine's dress is gone. This thing that was given to her out of love and how when we read at the top of the book when Meg like received the new clothes and how much Sally Jackson means to her after meeting this woman twice. And that's just been ripped away and replaced with something else to please someone else. Apollo goes on to describe what Meg is seeming to feel in this moment. Mm-hmm. He says, Meg met my eyes. I tried to transmit how concerned and anguished I felt for her, but her expression remained carefully neutral. She made her way toward Nero, each step cautious, as if the slightest false step or betrayal of emotion might cause invisible minds to explode around her. Mm -hmm. It reminded me of (laughs) Princess Leia and (gasps) Jasmine at the end of the Aladdin movie. Mm-hmm. That level yes. of being captive and put in this sexualized gown. It's the outfit change. Yes. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. It's this child bride, like you will rule alongside me as yeah. my captive energy. It's like a thing. It's like a combined transformation of a person into a trophy for someone. And specifically, I I think like that age component is so important where like, you know, that this is representative of this person being transformed in a way that is not entirely reversible uh, because of that age and maturity component. And also, I think with those two particular characters and with Meg, there is that component where like they're like cartoon characters. They have such an iconography that's tied to a specific outfit. And so the and changing they have a of level it, of masculinity and groundedness. Yes. <laughs> that comes from like gendered. being a younger girl. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not being forced into womanhood yet. And then having this kind of thrust onto them, having that autonomy be taken away in a strangely yeah. gendered fashion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Being like, there's this line from uh, Daughter of Dr. Moreau by Sylvia Moreno Garcia. And it's essentially. Oh my God. I love her. Yeah. Yeah. It's essentially a retelling of the island of Dr. O from like Dr. Moreau's daughter, who's a Jaguar woman, but she doesn't know that, but she kind of does. Basically, there's a line from that book that really stands out to me, especially if you think of it in this, where this other character, this man has come in and he's meeting her for the first time when she's still a little younger. And he's, I don't remember the exact line, but he's looking at her and thinking about how she still has the freedom of, of youth, of being like a girl, a kid, but how soon she's going to lose that and how they are going to treat her like a butterfly and pin her beneath glass and force her into corsets and gowns and dresses. And he's like, just like the way they forced his sister into an mm. unhappy life when she became a woman. And that feels yeah. like what we're seeing Nero start to do to Meg. Because Absolutely. he let her have the freedom of childhood at the beginning of the book where she still yeah. got to like go around. Rome, and- New York. Rome. Mm-hmm. And that is going to be taken away from her. Yeah, Absolutely. This leads us into this horrifying scene of (laughs) – it's almost like the cabinet battle in Hamilton (laughs) where they are both given the stage. It's not – I know there's a better reference, but that's the easiest one that came to mind. That's great. That's great for me. I have no notes. (laughs) They're just given both Apollo and Nero the theatrical space to out-monologue one another and be Mm -hmm. the superior showman to – win over Meg in this moment because Nero said Meg is going to make the choice of like what happens next. Mm-hmm. And Apollo was like, oh, frick, like <laughs> Nero was a master at theatrics. He knew how to work a crowd and keep us mm-hmm. on our toes. Trumpy, trump, trump, trump. There is a very long and delicious mm-hmm. and terrifying villain monologue. I don't even know if we need to read all of it. I would love it if Carter read it, but that would require them to find it in their ebook. 20 seconds. No, I, I can do this. I no, can do this. I can do this. I, have, chapter I believe in you, Carter. Right? Yes. All right. You are a user, Apollo. You have always been. 
You leave a wake of ruined lives wherever you go. Hyacinthus, Daphne, Marcius, Coronis, and your own oracles, Trophonius, Herophile, the Cumian Sibyl. You've seen this with your own eyes, my dear. You know what I mean. Oh, Lester, I've been living among mortals for thousands of years. You know how many lives I've destroyed? None. I've raised a family of orphans. I've given them luxury, security, love. I've employed thousands. I've improved the world. But you, Apollo, you've been on Earth barely six months. How many lives have you wrecked in that time? How many have died trying to defend you? That poor griffin, Eloise. The dryad, moneymaker. Crest the Pandos, and of course, Jason Grace. Don't you dare. Should I go on? The deaths at Camp Jupiter, Don, Dakota, the parents of that poor little girl, Julia. All for what? Because you want to be a god again. You've whined and complained across this country and back again. So I ask you, are you worthy of being a god? Wow. <laughs> Literally read his entire resume for filth. Had the receipts. That was comprehensive. He said, I will go and I will (laughs) itemize. (laughs) Yep. And Apollo remarks on this. is like, he doesn't care about these people. He just went and did his research to hurt me and try to like Mm -hmm. turn Meg against me. But I also, how, how, how is he finding out about, yeah, Jason Grace is a big one. Yeah, the Pandos. But like (laughs) Don, Dakota, Julia's name drop, but not her parents. Nero's got man on the inside. He completely orchestrated the entirety of Heroes of Olympus. (laughs) Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. No, bet. He funded the Princess Andromeda. So, yeah. He's been around. Everything. Uh, Meg cannot, has no words in the Serenade era. She's basically left wordless at the end of the cabinet battle and apollo says meg seemed to be teetering on the edge of an abyss i feared any change in the room the slightest vibration in the floor a shift in the light a cough or a sigh might push her over and because she does not decide nero says meg is right we will not choose Mm -hmm. apollo in the name of daphne and all the other dryads whom you have tormented over the years i decree that all our dryad friends will be allowed to tear you apart let's see how you (laughs) defend yourself when you don't have any more demigods to hide behind erica is a privilege to watch you perform Honestly, get, I, he get to hear you read all the time. Nero is a just petty queen You were like today. gradually mm-hmm. turning into like Star Kid Potter Draco Malfoy in this <laughs> truly a classic. <laughs> <laughs> that was my favorite character in ABC. So good. Anyway, Nero is a gaslight sun, gaslight moon, gaslight rising, and this whole section made me so so mad. Oh, very angry. I will admit I was uh, shocked and delighted in a horrified way when we had the Dryads attack in the name of Daphne. I was like, oh, that's so good. Oh, that's so bad. Oh, that's so good, though. Yeah, he gagged him a little bit. He made some points Mm -hmm. a little bit. Um, And Mm -hmm. that's that's what we need. We need a good in-universe reason to re-summarize everything. I got a thing, though. How many people has Nero killed in pursuit of godhood? Not the point. Not the point, DJ. That's not the point here. We're talking about Apollo. We're talking about Apollo. Don't change the subject. I would, I would say it is substantially more, the, but not as substantially as great as Jason Grace, but substantially <laughs> more lives lost. Have, have we mentioned that DJ loves Jason Grace? Big I feel like maybe we should Jason. be prepared for that. Did we not disclose that at the top? That may be entrapment if we didn't tell you beforehand, and I apologize. We've had Jason lovers here. We welcome and 
enjoy Jason stands. We we study them um, from an anthropological standpoint to learn more about culture and differences. Um, yeah, the variety of humanity. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the next chapter opens up with Apollo being like, if their hearts had been in it, I would have died. Like literally yeah. all those triads coming at him. They could have oh, knocked yeah. him out, like but... We 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 gotta we gotta do damage to you or else they're gonna hurt us. But and that doesn't do well for most of them because they've got no. torches being held basically knives to their throats the whole time. Yeah. While the dryads are like half heartedly kind of going at Apollo, Meg is like in the corner, rooted to where she stood, like trying to say and like eke out, stop it, stop it. But Apollo says her voice was so fragile, it barely registered. Yeah. And this just continued to break my heart in a thousand pieces because like she's having such a hard time using her voice in this scenario. But Apollo is there like on the other side of the room, like listening. And like mm-hmm. his whole, all of his attention while he's being attacked is on her. And like, is she okay? And like, yeah. she is trying to get this message out. She comes to him and she's like, is Lou alive? That's the first thing she asks him. Oh my God. Oh, her guardian. Mm-hmm. And Apollo says, Despite all my doubts and fears, despite all my complaints over the months about Meg being my master, she had chosen me, but I had also chosen her. I did trust her, not in spite of her past with Nero, but because of it. I had seen her struggle. I'd admired her hard-won progress. I had to believe in her for my own sake. She was, God's help me, my role model. I think it was from this point to the end of the book that I had tears in my eyes while listening yes. to it at work. And I had I had listened to this before. I know everything that's about to happen, right? This was on the re-listen I did on Tuesday. <laughs> From this point on, I'm like, just tears in my eyes as I'm sitting there stocking shelves. Absolutely. Like, I totally agree. Stone-faced, but just tears coming down. It's amazing. <laughs> listening crystal tears. You know Frodo? <laughs> when he like turns back and that's that lone tear, but like Aragorn <laughs> can see it somehow? That was me. Just at work. <laughs> oh, God. Yep. I would just keep crying if it wasn't for Meg busting out some seriously incredible mm-hmm. nature oh, powers finally. right about now. Literally, finally. Not finally for Meg. Meg's always been great. <laughs> I was uh, about to say, I don't know what you're talking about finally. She teleported using the roots of plants in the second book, okay? <laughs> Meg has always been great with her nature powers. I love seeing the the growth of her powers. Don't get me wrong. That's one power that's fucking unhinged to me. Is like Literally. Like, yeah. Oh, hey, a tree. Touching the tree and then ending up in South Dakota or Ohio because it's like all the roots are touching each other in some way, shape, or form. Big patch of grass, I'm at the other end, like Nico's shadow travel except it's plants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's almost like, I don't know, Demeter's also one of the original six Olympians. Know, this uh, primordial, This like earth goddess and then maybe her kids should be on par with Nico Giangelo and Percy Jackson and Talia and Jason, but we just... We just don't. No, no, Meg is just special and super strong and awesome. But the rest of the Demeter cabin likes flowers. Maybe maybe it's the same situation as Zeus that me and Darren have cracked up here. Is that Zeus doesn't oh. like to share his powers to his kids at all. But Demeter likes her kids, so she gives them she gives more powers. Him some, she, she'll get some, but she really liked Meg's dad for what Meg dad was doing, which was bringing back the seven, right? Yeah. Uh, I don't remember their... Man. Silver but she really liked something like that. She really liked him and so bestowed the daughter between them just enormous amounts of power. <laughs> that would actually like if the demigods powers directly coincided with the level of like true love 
that was in the relationship, which is why all of Apollo's kids have like random and like minusculely <laughs> specialized powers. And Percy mm-hmm. is a true son just, of the just sea a, god. Just an actual yeah. god, but not. <laughs> yeah, basically. No, DJ, I actually don't think we've ever had that conversation. That's a really good point. I think that makes sense. I've, I've, I've at least like told you that theory that that's just how gods decide to dole out their powers. Yeah. The reason Jason got flying and Thalia got electricity uh, whatever, be- whatever. <laughs> yeah but like the reason jason got flying and the electricity and thalia only got electricity is because zeus was like well, i guess my kid has to have something and threw it to thalia and then jace he was all like tripped up because he was jupiter but also <laughs> zeus and ended up getting his wires crossed and giving jason both lightning and <laughs> flight. and flying <laughs> sure why not i get that whatever i it's been said before but i gotta give another shout out to my girl layla from sky high the original nature <laughs> powers queen when meg burst all of those vines forward it was exactly like the scene in the final battle of sky high when mm-hmm. layla escapes the cheerleaders by using her plant powers i cannot believe the fact that every teacher slept on those plant powers she wasn't like showing them off she refused to have that from like displays of violence i mean <laughs> but it's still like oh you have power over plants Go in the hero course anyway. Like, you have power. Like, we have fields of grass. Like, shout out to per, uh, Principal Bump from the Owl House recognizing Willow's innate talent for plant magic and putting her on the right magic course. Yeah. Come love on. to see uh, educators. Plant who know. magic throughout mm-hmm. the canon. We love to see it. I just really was fixated on Layla as a child, in oh, addition yeah. to many other characters in Sky High. Um, mm-hmm. I can't wait to talk about that on an episode of the Monstrous Woman podcast. Stay tuned for that. Oh, that's going to be fun. <laughs> I'm excited to hear that one. Okay, so Meg literally unleashes this full blast of allergens. I'd be dead on the mm-hmm, floor if mm-hmm. I was there, personally. Tonsil um, swollen. <laughs> there's not enough azelastine and flusticazone in the world to stop me from passing out. Okay, and Nero is like mansplaining, gaslighting, manipulating man gaslighting her and (laughs) meg is like doing her best to see through all of this trauma and she's just like crying and she's like i didn't kill my father she can barely get it out her voice is so small she said i didn't cut off loose hands or enslave those dryads or twist us all up inside you did that nero i hate you the guy narrating it did a very very strong job Mm -hmm. robbie damon Yes. Very good. And like all the voices he did, very good. The way he would like portray the emotions and everything. He just such a great job. And I was like yeah. very much added to my experience. Yeah, absolutely. I listened to um, The Dark Prophecy and I thought it was very entertaining. Oh, yeah. After Meg says, I hate you, Nero, he manipulates his expression. So it turns, quote, sad and weary. I see. Well, if you feel that way. And Meg interrupts him and says, it's not about feelings. Oh. It's about the truth. I am not listening to you, and I'm not using your weapons to fight my fights anymore. I cheered. Very good. Listeners, so good. I screamed. Yeah. It's about the truth. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't call him dad. She calls him Nero. She says, I hate you. Mm-hmm. Hating your abuser is great and important, and mm-hmm. it's good to verbalize those things. Everybody read Antigone so- Rising. <laughs> <laughs> it's especially good to see Meg go through this journey because of like, you know, her educational background and her, like, the emotional processing experience she has is such that the language she's using to go through this process is so clean and simple and direct. And I think it's really viscerally pleasurable to read this be the response as opposed to, you know, like, a well-composed soliloquy that references, like, a specific moment 
in time. Like Meg is saying like, no, I'm just going to plainly reflect in like three five word sentences, the totality of our relationship, because I understand Mm -hmm. it now. And like, that's all I need. And that's all we need. It's so like, I hate you. It's just for her and where she is and you know, the background that she has, that's really satisfying. That's really all we need to hear. Um, and it's very powerful. It's so mad. She does punctuate this point by throwing away her weapon. Yeah. Which does end up working out. But I, I was also sitting there being like, ooh, Girl, that is like, so no. That's like, so Meg. No. That's yeah. exactly like her charging into the tomb in the tyrant's tomb. And yes. Like, oh yeah. yeah. Like straight into the end of it's like Meg. No, you were so close, babe. Like take a step back. <laughs> yeah. No. I know it all works out. I think maybe it all worked out a little bit smoother if Meg had the weapons that she was most proficient in and had like extra bonus die and rolling in favor of using. But all right. <laughs> I get it. I understand, man. No, it's a very symbolic gesture. I understand yeah. that. But man, yeah. poor time. <laughs> also, how do we feel in in the con for I know y'all have been uh, working on this theory of like the importance of like magical weapons as like yeah. the connection to the owner and the the greater connection to other elements of this like magical world. Uh, how do how does this like Meg throwing this away like relate to that for y'all? Her forsaking her given identity that mm-hmm. she was forced to live under because Nero gave her those weapons. Stellar, yep. And they yeah. have been building that thread in this book a bunch. Like, she uses the rings as her ID to get into the building, right? Mm-hmm. Implying that this is supposed to be something symbolic, but also something that ties her, yeah, as was said, in her identity to Nero. So, I guess. I don't feel like we've been building that consistently enough for me to feel that same visceral emotional response as that last thing is happening as opposed to me being Mm -hmm. like "Ah, oh girl i you know i know this is meaningful for you and so i guess this is what you'll be doing and wow i hope it works out (laughs) i support you in your journey i love her so much she's here for the drama and the drama only she doesn't care if this is gonna get her good she's like this is the most flair in the moment she's not wrong no if this moment couldn't get more delightful and full of flair who shows up but Nico D'Angelo in a white cowboy hat. <laughs> On top of Apollo's holy cow, but it's dead. Like, it's just no. skin and bone. Yes. <laughs> it's technically not Apollo's. This is- it's one of the... E- but, you know, that's a good point, Carter. Please it's Chekhov's holy cow. Because you might remember <laughs> earlier in this book, <laughs> these are the same cows that destroyed Rachel's house that, mm-hmm. you know, we're messing with the trogs that we've been told all this time are indestructible and we haven't seen anyone come up with a way to meaningfully deal with them. And it turns out that Nico had it in him all along. He can just <laughs> turn them into a dead indestructible cow that belongs to him. And like, you know, is there That's perhaps a buildup that we've made this more satisfying? Is it exactly the same satisfaction I got, you know, when Damasan rides in on the Draken that he kills every day? Not exactly, but almost. Oh, you know, I think we're a lot of the way there. <laughs> House of Hades is so good. Unmatched. <laughs> really top tier. But the hat. The hat is very but important. But the cow- hat is a great yeah. touch. <laughs> you, okay, I gotta good. believe that the Trogs, obviously they gave him the hat. We clearly know this. I want to believe that the Trogs gave him the hat after he dealt with the, the cow situation yes. because they understand what this hat, like the best use They know the fashion. They yes, know, like, they know <laughs> fashion. Like, Nico with the skeletal Silvestrian bull like showed up and like ran into the Trogs on some floor of the Tower of Nero and Fred was like, 
Nico, you need a new hat. And just like top hat away with the top hat. Throws like 100 hats out of his back pocket until he finds the perfect one and then hurls it and like frisbees it onto Nico's head and it lands perfectly. And he's like, thanks, I guess. And then he rides off on his skeleton and it's bowl. A white cowboy hat. That is the symbol yes. of the Western hero. That is Sean Rhodes back also, into town. This is <laughs> 2020. Also. This is such a particular moment in like gay cowboy disco culture. <laughs> like this, like Rick obviously does not know about any of this, but it's been building. You know, like this is probably the climax of it, but this is after Lady Gaga doing Joanne. This is after Casey Musgraves, right? This is at a moment. The height of Orville Peck. Yes. This, I feel like is probably the peak of people being like, you know what? Like I am like a transplant from Tennessee to Brooklyn, and damn it, I'm going to start wearing the cowboy hat again. Mm-hmm. That moment roughly corresponds in real history with when Nico rides in in the cowboy hat. And that, I guess what I'm trying to say is that Nico was the culmination of this queer history. Do you, do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> it's also giving Rick Riordan's first book was a Western, and, it, and, and this is his lore. Like Darian said, That's the true. white cowboy hat symbolism. Apollo was like, how'd you get here? Rachel sent him, obviously, because with Annabeth gone, Rachel is kicking ass, taking names, like mm-hmm. deploying everybody to where they need to go. Full battle strategy. Battlefield commander. Yes. Okay. I only notice this connection because y'all make the connections through all the episodes of Trials of Apollo discussing how this series so parallels the original five, especially this one being the last Olympian going back and how, and it, maybe just because I just reread the last Olympian preparing for our next season on Muses, but Rachel had no power then in the demigod world, right? She had to run in herself desperately making deals to get to Manhattan, to talk to Percy, to deliver these messages, to get someone to be there when they needed to be there, to make things happen the way they need to happen. And now she is the red priestess. She is the the Pythas. She's the Oracle of Delphi. She doesn't have to run anywhere. She can tell people you need to be here and they will be here for, they will do as she says because she has a position. She has like a place of like power and importance and respect in this like magical world now. And it's, I just find it. I love Rachel Elizabeth there so much. So I love seeing this for her. That's all true. And we also get a parallel to the last Olympian in the sense that obviously the context for her announcements are different, but that was the last time we saw her having like, I guess a similar timescale to her knowledge. We're here too. Mm -hmm. She's like, okay, these enemies are moving here. So you're going to go here right now. And that's the, Mm -hmm. the like, immediacy with which she's doing these things. And that is, that's that's exciting. We, we haven't gotten to see those two things match together, right? Where Rachel is able to both have power and confidence and full knowledge of how she knows things and why she knows things and like what the usefulness of that information really is. And then the social mm-hmm. power to be like, and therefore I'm going to be in charge of everybody. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's very good. It's very good. Uh- Absolutely. And there's another epic moment when she shows up later. But for now, the protagonists were like, oh, has Camp Half-Blood been um, evacuated from the building so they don't all get um, gassed, poison gassed to death? And um, they're like, oh, no, oopsie. Uh, oh, no, um, they're, they're going to die. And then one of Nero's older kids like stabs Apollo in the back, very oh. The Last Olympian. And then Nero mm-hmm. is like, aha, I have found the button that is going to murder everybody oh, in the yeah, building, including everybody time, in Camp Half-Blood. He's been fumbling around with different remotes. Yeah. <laughs> this is giving the You didn't even mention the line Dr. that was so sweet as to why Camp Half-Blood is still there. Wait, say, go ahead, DJ. What is the line? They're not going to leave without you. Camp Half-Blood's not leaving until Apollo and Meg are out of the building. Camp Half-Blood is a bunch of idiots. Let me tell yeah, you that. Yeah, but there's... <laughs> like, like, that's, that's exactly no! what Apollo thought, but they're beautiful idiots. Yeah, Camp Jupiter would never... Camp Jupiter would have stormed that... They would have like just like, oh, he's in the tower? 
We're just going to line the bottom and collapse the building. Yeah, what? they would have blown up the <laughs> tower. Collapse the whole building. Don't worry about it. No, I think, no, that's a good point. Because, like, Apollo and Meg, they view themselves as outsiders from all these people they've been around and stuff. And, like, Camp Half-Blood, they, they feel at home there. But neither of them really have a place there. And the campers yeah. all being like, we're not leaving without you is, it is beautiful, DJ. That's fair, I think. It's beautiful. <laughs> Basically, Nero gets the remote that has the button that we think is going to unleash the poisonous gas in the entire building and he presses it and we're going to take a quick break we are back the button it was the wrong one um Mm -hmm. (laughs) this is how that chapter opens chapter 30 death to my enemies was an excellent battle cry a true classic delivered with conviction some of the drama was lost however when nero pushed the button and the shades on the window began to lower (laughs) <laughs> and that, that is the peak of this comedy. The fact that Nero has been fumbling around with buns for the past chapter in a slapstick, doofenshmirtz way, trying to find the right one. And he still has not. And now we're going to have that same comedic gag for a whole other chapter. Like that, mm-hmm. that's how you do it. That's how you ratchet up the tension in your comedy. Very true. <laughs> heighten, heighten, and heighten. It's very funny. Meanwhile, where there's like it's a so full funny. on battle raging all around them. Nero is also invulnerable, which I forgot about, which is important. He's invulnerable, has such immense strength, could like actually just get up there and just kill everybody. But he's so in it for the theatrics, he doesn't even want to do that. Well, because he, okay, going back to the other thing about like Nero making himself into a god through like the physical resources and power he accumulates. If he were truly a god, he could Thanos style snap his fingers and everyone would be dead. But he can't throw a lightning bolt and destroy everyone. He can't wipe them all away with an ocean. He would have to physically go and kill them one by one. And that's not what a god does. So he wants to hit that button. He wants to deliver the gas. He wants to do in a the little... It would take me just a press of a button. That lack of effort on my part to kill you all. Like That is what is like his godlike thing he is going for. Because he mm-hmm. sucks. But that's it fails because he's it a fails. bumbling idiot. Because it's a kid's book and there's comedy <laughs> in it still. Carter, do you want to explain this bit about the TV remote control that comes in? Oh, yes. Okay, so the remote controls are doing all doing different things. They're lowering the shades or turning the AC on, whatever. One of them, we're going to read a quote. The third was split between Fox News and MSNBC, which side by side should have been enough to cause an antimatter explosion. I suppose it was a sign of Nero's apolitical bent or perhaps his multiple personalities that he watched them both. Listener, does Nero watch them both? No. No, his ass does not. Do you think Nero watches cable news at all? Probably no. also no. Like n- nothing not. about this sentence makes any sense except for perhaps the way that it is jammed in here in a way that doesn't really jive with anything that comes immediately before or immediately after to me suggests say it with me, that an editor later on in the process was like, I think you need to confirm to the readers that Nero is an evil person and evil is not um, partisan. And, you know, I guess if that's what it takes to get a book published that is just a long series of thinly veiled (laughs) critiques of selfishness and greed and wealth and corporatism and egoism, then I, eh, I suppose. Mostly it's funny. I thought it was hilarious. It's goofy. It's definitely a little goofy. Oh, yeah. Apollo dusts some of Nero's galls, Mm -hmm. which is some confirmation that they dust, which is, oh, there's not enough time in the world to break that down. (laughs) (laughs) I I had a theory not to turn this into a through the mist episode. I think things dust if they don't die of old age. But the gods don't like the gods like that's where I'm a little faded. Well, I think because it's like you have to be mortal, but not die of old age. 
is the 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 difference. I don't think a god would dust. No, because we saw Pan. He just fades, and we saw what happened to well, that, the, that's, the that's silent when god. Stop believing in a god, right? We, that's when people stop believing in a god. Yeah, I mean, like if Apollo, godly form and all, gets murked by Python or like whatever, he just bleeds out and dies. Yeah, a thing that is mortal can be killed, but cannot die of old age. And I think that's might be the overlap on why these guys dust, but also Crest dust, but also the Griffin dusted. Yeah. And I don't have enough evidence to support that, but that's my but working also, theory. also, all of these things are in-universe described as monsters, which is, like, part of the, the problem. Yeah. <laughs> like, I like I don't think Rick has another category name for this, the, the, all of these different um, entities and organisms that you've described. Yeah. But I think that just makes sense. There's something that happens later. We're going in order. I won't drag us ahead. That's my working theory on yeah. <laughs> I feel a little bit better about the dusting because this time the person who's being dusted has um, a French name. Carter. Uh, Carter. <laughs> <laughs> like this time, it's not just like it's a goal. Like you know that what Rick means when he says goal is he means French person, and that helps <laughs> it go down a little bit easier. Probably still, we should have a different uh, logic for the universe, but we're gonna move on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Nero finds the right button to cast the entire tower just as reinforcements arrive. Quote. On the threshold stood Will Solis, radiating brilliant light. At his left was Lugu Selva, alive and well, her stumps now outfitted with daggers instead of silverware. At Will's right was Rachel Elizabeth Dare, holding a large axe wrapped in a golden bundle of rods, the fasces of Nero. A glowing Will Solis, mm-hmm. blue with daggers, and Rachel Elizabeth <laughs> Dare holding Nero's Horcrux. I'm sorry. Will's ass is so corny, though. I could not. <laughs> no, no. He shows up. No, that is my favorite trope in all of love fiction. It. I die for it. You, because let's, okay, because Nero has just backhanded Nico D'Angelo across the room when they Very show true. up. And my lit, I cannot, I, this is me, and I am sad. I am a sad, sad ace lesbian who so much loves it when one of our hero characters gets knocked down by the big bad and then their love interest rolls up all showing off their power and they're like no one touches them or my dad and i'll give you that that part is corny but the no one hits my boyfriend has me in a vice grip my favorite time when it's done is in fact in shrek the very first one at the very end the very first one at the very end yeah yeah, A, he comes running into the church. B, Farquaad's about to cut Fiona's head off, and he breaks out of everything. And then yeah. Dragon shows up. That was pretty badass. Big fan of that. That's a great scene. See, like, as a moment, being a savior, yes, we're pro that. What I'm not pro <laughs> is Nico showing up and verbalizing this while glowing. No, I need the verbalization. Like, let's remind ourselves, is, is, is his glowing useful to anyone at this point in time? No. Maybe. He's just still doing it. Because um, for character development reasons. And what is Will Solis' ass going to do right now to avenge Nico? Nothing. And that's okay. You can be a boyfriend who will go and heal Nico. And that's good. And we support that. I love it. He's got Wolverine and the woman holding Nero's life in her hands. He doesn't have to do anything. He gets to go heal his boyfriend. I literally love it. Maybe it's just because I was watching um, Jesper and Wyland videos like all day today. But I love Videos? The season's not out yet. What are the videos? There is so much promotional content being released every single day. You need to catch up and finish the book. Um, (laughs) But literally him showing up and like, he's so like not protagonist core, you know, like Will Solis is so sidekick core and he like doesn't know what it is to like show up and have like battlefield one-liners. So Mm -hmm. him just being like, no one hits my boyfriend and 
no one kills my dad. And he's like, oh, also my dad is here. Right. <laughs> it's so cute. I love it. I just, it makes me cry with tears. <laughs> like DJ all day long. Yes. And Rachel indeed does say, I am the girl holding your life in her hands as she has his fasces in her hands. And yes, there my is girl. a double entendre involved in the rest of the scene. <laughs> With Rachel holding <laughs> the fasces. If y'all don't know what fasces look like, you should maybe Google them. Um. Nero is afraid of Python because, of course, by the transitive property of evil bullying, every bully has a bigger and badder bully. <laughs> and There's always a bigger fish. Even Nero had been shaped by and manipulated by an even stronger abuser, which made me think of Luke, which made me think of who manipulated and abused Luke into becoming a monster. And then I was like, oh my God, it was Lin-Manuel Miranda. I cannot wait for Lin-Manuel Miranda to be responsible for the destruction of the entire Western world. Is he playing Kronos in the series? No, he's he's Hermes. Hermes. Oh, he's Hermes. I would argue Kronos. Luke only turns to Kronos because Hermes abandoned him. And then Kronos uses and abuses Luke. But at that point, he's like, he's unconscious, you know? (laughs) I think it's actually all Zeus's fault because he's the one that said you guys can't hang out with your kids. This is also true. Wow. It's all Zeus's fault and Zeus is bad because of Kronos. And really, it's all the Big Bang's fault. And um, (laughs) I mean, if we go go above Kronos, right, we're reaching Uranus, you know? And that is our crazy ex-girlfriend reference for the episode. These two said they weren't going to, but I knew they were going to do it. This is a song called Nothing Is Ever Anyone's Fault from season four, the first episode of season four of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, in which they deduce everything back to being everything is the Big Bang's fault. And that is exactly what happened here okay isn't it been the f- no it's the finale of season three that's what i was gonna say oh is it it's before she goes to jail <laughs> we're singing yeah. it in her apartment darian before. that is like wow did you just like know that about crazy ex-girlfriend i am actually a big big crazy ex-girlfriend friend i'm just afraid to tell you because i never actually watched the last season and i didn't want to see your disappointment in me no i'm literally nothing but thrilled right now wait what haven't you because if a show finishes that i'm actively watching but it finishes when i'm behind i just won't i just won't steven universe adventure time ducktales reboot 2019 like i just didn't like on principle you don't finish it no no it's like some weird thing in my brain where oh uh parks and rec i'm like so sad that it ended that if i'm not there in the moment when it ends <laughs> I'm that just, last like, season of parks and rec you could skip it's not that good <laughs> i actually have literally just not seen the last episode oh yeah i, I didn't i didn't like the last season <laughs> it was a little rougher around the edges yeah but um anyway where were we we are on meg's final destruction and absolute ending of nero nero is like meg you ungrateful child the beast and meg cuts him off full stop and goes the beast is dead taps the side of her head i killed it Period. Very Dead in a ditch. Can't even. On God. 10 out of 10. House of Meg takes home number one (laughs) prize. I swear to God. And your streamer of the year is. (laughs) Meg was very strong in that scene. I love every second of it. And then Apollo is like just (laughs) a whole ass mess. And he turns to Rachel and he's like, give me the fasties. Like, give it to me so I can destroy it. And she's literally in the middle of the freaking battle at the end of this book. People are dying. And she goes, 
please? And G, sorry I underestimated you, Rachel. You're actually kind of a warrior queen. <laughs> my girl. Yes, please. That's thank you. My and girl. hold out all the rest of that. Literally, the building is being poisonous gassed, as far as we know. And she had to stop in this moment just no, to No, I think be at petty. this point, he, he's pressed no, the, no, the poison gas. Yeah, the, and trog- the troglodyte comes out. And the, the detonator is being powered by 9-volt batteries is crazy. Like, are you out of your mind? Speak on it. You're going to choose those? Something easily removable? <laughs> I mean, that's what happens when your support staff are like either thousands of years old or children. He has all the money in the world and he's like, we're going to go the we're going to go the cheap option for my big major trap. 9 volt battery powered detonator. Because wealthy people are also notoriously cheap. After Rachel hands over the fasces, she has a free hand, so she pulls her blue plastic hairbrush out of her back pocket and hurls it that's into a battle. Reference. Wow. My girl. I kind of hope it's like the same hairbrush, you know, that like she know, retrieved right? it from the At battlefield. This point, it, it must be the same hairbrush if it's like the same color. Talk about iconic weaponry um, mm-hmm. identifying you. <laughs> yep. Very true. Yeah. Very true. Iconography. This leads us into our final confrontation with Nero. Can someone summarize this? Apollo's sitting there, raggedy ass as he is holding the fasces, and he's like, Nero, come take it from me. And Nero... No, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. Oh, right, he's trying to... He's trying to break them. He's like, hey, you wanted immortality, take mine, take mine, let's go, you got you got to break me, destroy it. And it's yeah. not working. So he's like, all right. Then he's like, okay, Nero, I'm if you want him, come help. take him. Uh, maybe I need some godly help, yeah. Yeah, Nero then starts to charge him, and he grabs the fasces. And even though Nero is ridiculously strong right now, Apollo is holding his own because suddenly he's getting the divine burst that he is known for. And they both start glowing really fucking bright as they're just like really pulling on it, essentially. And eventually it cracks under the strength of these two gods fighting over it. And it breaks open, obviously breaking and returning Nero to uh, actual dust. But I mean, it's delayed dust. It's like a classic Thanos snap. Uh, Mr. Apollo, I'm not feeling so well type of dust, right? God damn it. <laughs> Mr. Papadopoulos, I'm not feeling Mr. so well. Papadopoulos. <laughs> Mr. the Beast, oh, I'm not feeling so well. <laughs> Mr. Python, I'm not feeling too well. Yeah, it's actually that one. It's that one for yeah, sure. Yep, we did it. We got there. <laughs> Why are you eating me, Mr. Python, as Python is consuming all that dust? Carter, anything to add? I do have something to add. Apollo, as the thing is breaking, he goes, I'm Apollo, God of the Sun, and I revoke your divinity. I was Super so hoping strong. to have a Carter take on this this one sentence. I just I think really that was like, I hope, strong. I hope Carter has a thousand things to say about this. I loved it. Oh, no. Oh, I loved it, too. That's how I knew Carter I, was going to have a thousand things <clears throat> to say about it. I thought it was cool. You know, I feel like I've tried to say some positive things in this episode. I felt really thematically unsatisfied by this. Because, like, this, I mean, really? I guess we're going to have another confrontation with Python. So maybe this is just, like, fake. And it's... I shouldn't be that, that emotionally invested in what's going it's, on here. It's not the big bad. Yeah. Because yeah. it's not the big bad, I feel, I don't know. I feel like this is the wrong conclusion for Apollo to be drawing from, from these things. And for him to be like saying that the reason why he's able to defeat Nero is because of divinity and because of mm-hmm. like a reliance on like a pre-existing hierarchy feels, I don't like, I don't want to say the victory feels hollow, but it feels like not ideologically resonant in a way that would have maximized my personal enjoyment. Okay, I would say that the reason that it's pretty substantial is here is because before they get into the tug of war, uh, Apollo goes through and realizes, 
Nero's been wanting to become the sun god. Nero has literally put his face on my body mm-hmm. as a, a big yeah. fucking mm-hmm, statue mm-hmm. to like, and then he's literally gone this whole time getting devoted followers, money, power, all of this shit to become the sun god. So when the sun god says, hey, knock this shit out, I revoke your divinity, it's pretty strong. Yes. But I feel like the last two of the triumphant also had like their stuff going on where like Commodius was the guy that like had Apollo's blessing and that could be something that was revoked for Apollo more personally. And then the guy after that was like actually wanted to be the sun god. So here we are again with the sun god thing again. And I, I actually- everybody wants I do, to be the sun god. Okay, well, I do think the line is super cool and I love everything about it. I think I agree with Carter actually and I don't think it's thematically fulfilling. I think that's ridiculous. I think I had chills when I first I read this. Chills. I had chills I for the second time. I was crying. I was stoked out of the, my mind. It was great. I think that if Apollo was a little bit more comfortable with being Apollo at this point, mm-hmm. it might have landed a little bit harder because it would have led up to this moment of him being like, the true power that destroys Nero is him like accepting himself. Um, yeah. Thankfully, I think it is more complicated than that because we're about to have a lengthy... Um, mm-hmm. King's Cross moment of liminal space (laughs) for us to figure out what our true identity really is. Before that, though, we wake up, right? So Nero gets sent down into smoke and glitter because he's a little, you know, into (laughs) hell to go and presumably be consumed by Python. And then Apollo sort of like wakes up in a dream where he is watching the Council of the Gods on Mount Olympus talk about him, which for some reason made me think of The Last Olympian. I don't know if there's like part, if there's a specific scene. I don't know. Just because the last time we maybe were they chatting also with have the a godly Council, Council of the Gods. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's like the last time that we were present at the Godly Council, possibly. Yeah. Yeah. On Olympus, so. yeah. yeah. Yeah, on Olympus yeah. specifically. Oh, I really enjoyed this joke about Athena's helmet looking like a Marvin the Martian from the Looney Tunes. I um, (laughs) appreciate Apollo's perspective of not being either so terrified of Athena or also um, blindly obsessed with her. I I think it's very refreshing. But yeah, we check in with some other gods. Like Zeus is very stoic in exactly the same way he is and Apollo is still like very upset with him. Ares says something that to me was really interesting about how we should just let Apollo die and then replace Apollo's place on the council with a god of climate disasters. (laughs) Wow. Fascinating. Food for thought. That's the Mm -hmm. wisest thing he's ever said. Mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. the wisest thing he's ever said. Talk about representing the changes in the way that civilizations are um, thinking. The flame. (laughs) The flame of Western civilization. You Mm -hmm. absolutely know that Ares doesn't want to fix those climate disasters. <laughs> oh, yeah. Wars are on the horizon. Climate disaster could also mean nuclear war, nuclear fallout. That's a climate disaster. Aries's uh, human Caucasian skin motorcycle is contributing plenty of carbon emissions. He is Absolutely. not a true advocate for a greener no. earth. No, 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 no. no, no. Mm-hmm. Hera is the check-in that matters to me the most here. Mm-hmm. She is mm-hmm. very upset. She, quote, had been crying. This has gone on long enough. Too much loss, too much pain. But if my husband insists on seeing it through, the least you can all do is not talk about Apollo as if he's already dead. Wow. So, okay, here's my my thing about it. She's been crying since only book three. Since Jason died, she realized, this has gone on long enough, guys. I just lost my fucking warrior, okay? I love this scene, and it fills me with so much rage and pain 
for Apollo and Lester and everything he's been through, just like watching his family and companions since the dawn of his existence, talk about him like he's already dead, bet on his life and just kind of not care, right? They're worried about like, it's the final battle. Like even Athena's like very like critical and quiet of it. Like, but there's no concern for Apollo. Like Artemis is there and Art, like you said, Erica, she's the only one that cares and is angry and wants this to be done. And no one else is actually worried for Apollo as a person. And it makes me so sad that that's what he's going back to. Rick has always been good at writing complicated family dynamics. This is very true. And then the, the chapter, I don't know. Is it okay if I jump to the, the last sentence? Cause that's something that's like, please the dream starts to fade away. They all lean forward, staring at the vision in the flames as my body began to store, as my body began to stir. Then I was back in my mortal form, looking up, not at the Olympians, but at the faces of my friends. And I think that's such an important distinction he makes as to who they are, that the Olympians are not yes. his friends, are not his allies. The ones in the tower looking over him physically are his friends. And yes. it just makes me so sad. I mean, I love it and it's so good, but it makes me so sad. And I'll talk more about that. In the next episode, probably. Yeah. Let's read that next line. Um, when he wakes up from the dream. Do you want to do it, Darian? <laughs> oh, my God. I'd, I'd love to. Uh, I was dreaming. I pointed weakly at Meg. And you weren't there. Neither were you, Lou. Or Nico. And Will. I laughed so hard. So good. What That's is that? That's a what good ass reference. His gay ass. I was literally saying his gay ass <laughs> loves the Wizard of Oz. Absolutely. He's a fucking friend of Dorothy if there ever was one. My <laughs> God. <laughs> for Ariana Grande to play Glinda in the Wicked film adaptation. He was literally there. Like, you know those memes about like people being like, oh my God, can you imagine the gays when Meet Me in St. Louis dropped being so gagged? by um, <laughs> Judy Garland's performance in that movie. That was him. He was literally there. He was yep. there in 1942, like unable to leave the theater because of the way that she sang the trolley song. You know, like that was actually him. And it still is Yeah, him. absolutely. That's a fucking hilarious reference. I feel like this is maybe the right time, actually, the more that I think about it, to do the episode break. Mm. What do you think? I think that's a great idea. We... As obviously planned, we'll be ending the episode here. And <laughs> next week, we're going to be back with the muses to continue our wicked sprint to the end of the Tower of Nero. We've got that liminal space of self-discovery to get to, and we've got some very juicy check-ins with the rest of our main characters. So Absolutely. we'll see you guys next time. Yeah, so Darian, or DJ, but I'm assuming Darian, where can we find you guys on social media? You can find us at Muses Mythology on Instagram or Twitter, but not really that latter one, or at Muses Mythology on any of your favorite podcatchers. I promise you we are there. We are two siblings who talk about how ancient myths become part of our modern pop culture through the lens of Rick Riordan's Percy Jackson and the Olympians. Beautiful. All right. You know where to find the Muses, and we will see y'all next time. Bye. Bye, y'all. Bye-bye.